Baseball hitting is one of the only skills in the world that trains in an environment that's easier than the game. And it just doesn't make any sense from a skill acquisition standpoint. Hey, and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I'm Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us. On today's show, we have the pleasure of speaking with the Director of Hitting for Driveline, Jason Ochart. Jason and I talk about training our players better using data-driven metrics, competitions, and individualization. Before Driveline, Jason was the hitting coach at Menlo College, so we discuss what he has learned in the private setting and how we can take what he's learned and use it in the team setting. Ladies and gentlemen, I love this conversation with Jason Ochart. Jason Ochart, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Jonathan, man, thanks so much for having me. Big fan of the show, and it's an honor to be on here. Well, I appreciate that, and I'm a huge fan of Driveline. I don't, I honestly don't think that we've gone one episode without somebody, either myself or the guests, mentioning just the different protocols that you guys have put out, whether it's with Kyle on the throwing side or, or whether it's with you on the hitting side. And you guys are really at the forefront of the game, and so I'm just, I'm honored to have you on, to be completely honest with you. Sure thing, man. It's, uh, it's definitely been fun since I joined the team, and, and uh, you know, the support is really appreciated, and we're definitely doing our best out here. That's definitely the case. And so talk to our listeners just about, you know, how you got your start in baseball and give us a short snapshot of, you know, where you or how you got to where you are today. Sure. Um, I mean, the short story is I played high school, college baseball. It's not very good. I was a very average NAI baseball player. And, uh, you know, I wasn't lucky enough and, and good enough to play pro ball. As soon as I was done playing, you know, I always knew that I wanted to go into coaching. And I really fell in love with it kind of a funny story, but after working with my younger brother, he was really my first client. To be honest with you, I ruined his swing. When he, uh, <laughs> when he first started working with me was when he finished high school and he was a three-sport athlete. He decided to go full-time in the baseball. So we trained that whole summer and he got worse. Like he, he was terrible and he didn't make his team his freshman year of college. So for me, it was like, well, here's my first client and I just ruined him. And it was like rock bottom for me. Mm-hmm. And then I really started to do some homework at that point. I um, was also studying sports science, so I was applying a lot of the stuff that I was learning in school, you know, motor learning, ex-phys, you know, applying principles I learned every day in, in class and then trying to think about it from a baseball perspective and then apply it was, uh, was really interesting to me. And a lot of this stuff kind of like hit me right in the nose because it was the opposite of what I was doing and opposite of what I did to my younger brother. <laughs> so... You know, we got back and, and we rebuilt his swing and um, he ended up having a really good college career. And I really just fell in love with helping. And at that point, I knew like this is what I want to do and I want to help hitters get better. And I want to kind of, you know, share these ideas that at the time were crazy, you know, and I was getting a lot of slack for it and getting a lot of uh, resistance from people. But but it kept working. And, you know, after I graduated, the stars kind of aligned and I had an opportunity to coach at, uh, at Menlo. And my brother was on the team and he helped me get that job. So I started there and I really just enjoyed it. My first year, I wasn't the hitting guy, but I got promoted to that job my second year. And to be totally honest, at that point, I wasn't making literally any money. So I was kind of wondering like, okay, is this really what I want to do? You know, I was planning on going to PT school. That's what I was studying in college. And after my first year, I was like, okay, maybe I'll just coach my brother for a couple of years and and then just go into uh, PT school. But um, with that being said, I just kind of said, whatever, I'm just going to go for it, do these crazy things for a couple of years and, and see what happens. And 
we ended up hitting really well, broke a bunch of records, and, and I just fell in love with coaching. And in my third year, I started posting stuff on Twitter just because uh, I thought it was cool to post home run videos of our guys, and our guys got fired up. So I started posting videos, and Kyle found me. You know, he just DM me one day like, hey, we're thinking about getting into hitting. Is that a gig that would interest you? I said, absolutely. You know, fast forward, he flew me up, did the interview and, and offered me the job. And it's been just an incredible journey since I started. Well, that is awesome. And, and I've been following you since, since your Menlo days. And you're the reason, well, the reason why I did follow you is because you did post all of those home run videos on Twitter. And I did think those were cool. So definitely, definitely awesome there. And I'm sure your kids love that as well. But, you know, let's let's go ahead and just start digging in a little bit. And, you know, by, by the way, shout out to uh, Jake McKinley, who was on the ABCA a couple weeks ago with Sheets. And, and off the mic, we were talking about how awesome of a job that he did. So, man, you guys really had it rolling over there with Menlo, and, and that's, that's awesome. And so you've been not only in the driveline setting, but you've also been in the team setting. And so I, I'm really excited to dig in on with you of some different aspects that we can both pull because, you know, I'm in the team setting and you're in the private setting now. But just talk to us about, you know, the, just the start of the offseason. And so kids are, kids are done with summer ball, and they want to come train with you guys at Driveline. So what is, you know, what's the focus that you guys put on in the, in the offseason? And you could start with us from, you know, week one and just progress forward or however you really want to go from there. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, I think, you know, it's an individual problem, right? Every athlete is unique. And I think the most important thing we do with athletes is we run them through an assessment. So what that means is when they come in for a week, we're simply collecting data and, and trying to figure out exactly what it is they need to work on. And no two athletes are the same. But I will say that the vast majority of amateur hitters need bat speed. They just need to move faster and, and they need to hit the ball harder. And it's a lot like in pitching. You know, if you want to be a prospect and you want to play professional baseball, you're going to have to throw 90 and hitting is really, it's, it's no different. The, the pros at our place, they all hit the ball hundred miles an hour or harder with no exceptions. And, and the truth is most amateur hitters just aren't there. So we run them through an assessment. And, and like I said, the vast majority of guys, we just put them on a bat speed program and, you know, get them in the weight room and, and get to work. No, I love that. And, and so you may get some, or you you may have gotten some backlash on that in uh, on the social media world that just talks about you know we train this, but how can they be helpful for the team? So do you see that translating? I mean, I I, I know the answer to that question, but what would you say to the people who are like, well, that's that's a little bit selfish on their career, and they need to think about you know helping the team win as well. Yeah, well, improving your bat speed will help your team. <laughs> it's going right. to make you a better hitter, regardless of the type of hitter you are, whether you're a power hitter or, a, or an average hitter. Increasing your bat speed is going to help you become better. And that's just um, an objective fact. So, you know, people think in absolutes and they think that we're preaching bat speed and exit velocity, that, that we're just telling all our hitters to, to, you know, dip and rip and just hit moonshots all day. But it's like that's not, <laughs> it's not the case. It's much more complex than that. That's for sure. No, no doubt. And so you guys perform the assessment. Now, do you guys perform the assessment just so you can understand – you know, how the athlete moves and how and why they may not be getting into the positions that you want them to get in? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just gives us a, a full perspective into what the athlete's doing with his movement, why he's moving that way. And I mean, it gets really granular. We look at all their batted ball metrics. So I can look at what's your peak velocity, what's your average velocity. Um, you can look at that by field. Okay. What's your average 
velocity or average launch angle to balls you pull to balls you hit up the middle. We could do it by zone. Okay, what's your uh, what are your, what's your data on pitches in the top of the zone, bottom of the zone, inside corner, breaking balls? I mean, you name it. So we really get in there and see if there's anything jumping out at us, and then we'll even look at the like what they're doing with their actual bat. And I think that's really important. What's your bat speed? What's your um, your bat path? How are you attacking? The ball, are you on playing with the pitch? Are you too steep? Are you cutting across? All really important stuff. And then we'll take it to the next level and, and even get physical assessments, which to me is as important as anything. Is how strong are you? How mobile are you? Are there restrictions that are creating swing issues? Because a lot of the time, a guy that has a mechanical issue is, is simply doing it because that's all his body can do. Mm-hmm. And that's something I'm learning more and more. And and it's just crazy time and time again to see these guys that get assessed and realize that they have uh, a T-spine issue or they, they have a mobility, a mobility deficiency in their front hip. And it's causing these issues that I've noticed and I, I've, I've pointed out and I've told the athlete a hundred times and showed them a video. You got to fix this. You got to fix this. And, and they just aren't doing it. And then you actually, you know, correct physically what's going on with them and the movement cleans up. Because at the end of the day, the human body is a marvelous machine. And it's going to move more or less in the way that it's most efficient. And a lot of times you're asking athletes to do stuff that they physically can't. Right. Or at least the, the most efficient that, that their body can move. I've been getting into a lot of the TPI stuff lately. And have you guys been able to find that stuff beneficial? Oh, it's incredibly beneficial. And I highly recommend it to, to literally any baseball coach. We had um, Max Gordon, our hitting trainer, go and get TPI level one certified. I'll be doing it soon. And I mean, it's already made a tremendous impact on the training floor. And it's uh, an assessment that can be done in 20 minutes. And, and it's just like, it, it's something that I wish I knew two years ago, to be honest, because uh, it has just been incredible. And our athletes love it. And, and we've seen some incredible gains from it. No doubt. And I, I feel like golf is, is way ahead of the baseball game right now. So we're doing our best to catch up. But just to your point of, I wish I had known this two years ago, if we're not saying that every year or every two years, then we're already behind. So uh, no it's good to recognize that. But at the same time, the game is going to progress really, really fast. So we've got to you know, do our best to keep up. And, and I know my first year in coaching, I look back and I go, God, I was kind of like with your brother. I was like, man, I, I ruined a lot of swings. But yeah. I mean, that's, that's how we learn. That's how we, we get better. And, and, you know, we're, we're going to look back and, and the stuff we're teaching today, we're going to go, man, I was, I was an idiot for that too. So how about it? Man. And I, I often will learn something new and, and then a hitter will pop into my head, mm-hmm. a hitter I worked with in the past and be like, Oh geez, I, that's, you know, that's John. Dang yeah. it. This, this would have helped John two years ago. And it really is a sinking feeling, but it's the price you pay for, um, for seeking new information. Oh, absolutely. Well, you talking about new information, you guys literally try and track everything. So over the course of almost a year, what has been some of your favorite stuff and maybe some eye-opening stuff that you guys have started to track? I know you mentioned bat speed earlier, some bat path stuff, but is there anything in particular that stands out to you that goes, hmm, this was awesome to track and I didn't even think about it? Yeah, I would say um, looking at the distribution of batted balls, and what I mean by that is when we collect three, 400 swings of a hitter, we can really start to dive in. And one thing I've really, I've really learned a lot from is looking at the launch angle of a hitter's hardest hit balls. Now, this is something hit tracks can do for you. If you look at an athlete's hardest hit balls within 5% of their peak exit velocity, 
and take the average launch angle there, you can really learn a lot about a guy's bat path. And I'll give you a case study. We had one guy last year who had a peak velocity of 105 and he had no home runs and none of us could figure it out. And But when you look at his distribution, his average launch angle of hard hit balls was one degree. Wow. So to us, it was like, this is a problem. And, and we started to uh, put him on a program that was tailored towards launch angle and towards attack angle. And by the end of his training, he was up to 13, 14 degrees of uh, launch angle for his hardest hit balls. And he ended up hitting six home runs his junior year when he had never hit any. And uh, it, it was a pretty cool it was a pretty cool success story. So I think looking not only at the peak and average exit velocity and launch angle, but actually diving deeper and starting to, to really understand what the data is telling us. Oh, definitely. And so you're talking about, you know, launch angle, which again, it's, it's, it's a really popular term now. And, and you hear announcers just completely abusing it on TV. But you said one degree. And so does that even get out of the infield? If it's hit really, really hard. Okay. Um, maybe. Yeah, to be totally honest, probably not. Okay. That's, okay. A, that's a hard ground ball. And um, it might work in high school or, or college. But when you get to a certain level, those infielders get pretty good and, and they gobble those up. Well, even if you're talking about a guy whose peak velocity is 105, I mean, it's, that, to me, that's common sense. But, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll leave it at that. So talk to us about, you know, some, some common problems that you see with a lot of hitters. Is, and, and the easy way out, and I'm not going to let you take this, is <laughs> it depends, right? So, and it sure. does. I completely agree. But is there, is there some things that stand out a lot to a lot of youth hitters that you work with? Yeah, I would say the swing plane is the main thing with youth guys. Most of the youth hitters we get up here especially are, are swinging down. And when we get them on the blast sensor, their attack angles are usually negative eight to like negative three. Wow. And it's simply just not a bad path that's going to help you be successful, especially as the game speeds up. So I'd say that's the most common issue. Um, intent is another issue. Most guys, when they swing the bat, they're doing it very passively. And I think it's something that's ingrained in us from a young age is, you know, Johnny just put the ball in play. Don't try, don't try and do too much. And when you take all your swings like that from, you know, age six to, to 13, you're not going to be able to move fast. Like that's simply not the best way to develop speed in, in any movement, especially for a developing young athlete. So I think that a lot of the young hitters, they, um, they really try and stay under control and, and they're so cued to just put the ball in play that they, uh, they don't ever develop the coordination to, to move fast. And I think that with young guys, I would rather them be out of control and then we can clean it up and tighten it up as they get to you know, 14, 15 years old and uh, not the opposite, which I think is way more common. Oh, for sure. You're talking about driving the ball and you're talking about intent, yeah. but you also, you're training a lot of adjustability and some you know, adaptation. And one big thing that I saw that just completely scared the crap out of me was was like the two-headed monster of the two <laughs> machines just right next to each other. And I'm going, man, you've got to be really good to do that. And so it, it really challenges your body and challenges your swing. But, you know, we're, we're constantly doing that and we're having to make decisions as we swing. So for the listeners thinking that all you guys do is train the swing with just, you know, front flips, we'll dig into it a little bit deeper and, and you know, talk to us about how we do train that decision training, adjustability, and all of that in our swings as well. Sure. Yeah, I'll preface by saying that I think baseball hitting is one of the only skills in the world that trains in an environment that's easier than the game. And it just doesn't make any sense from a skill acquisition standpoint 
And when you look at a pitch that, you know, when released to impact is, is going to be around 400 milliseconds, I don't understand why a hitter would take 95% of their training swings at, you know, 45 miles per hour. So a lot of our training is, is trying to replicate game conditions and, and even making it a little harder and then letting guys fail because that's just the nature of this game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're hitting 700 in practice, you're, you're probably doing something wrong. Our guys will go through their T work and their front toss work every day. And that's customly built by us and, and focused on whatever they're trying to um, accomplish and whatever we want the movement adaptation to be. But then they progress to, um, to the pitching machine or machines. And it's typically at game speed or harder and crazy spin rate sometimes. And, and the guys, you know, they, they struggle and they fail, but they love it. And, and it really is a good way to, to get them ready for the game. Oh, no doubt. And so is there a, is there a, a mix that you guys have? So I'm thinking out loud a little bit, so bear with sure. me if you don't mind. So I'm thinking off season, we build the engine and then the closer we get, the more it goes from building the engine to being able to decide, you know, what, what pitches to swing at and seeing more live game situation stuff is, is there a, a proper mix that you guys have found or is, or just yeah. you know, take us through that? No doubt. There, there is a, you know, periodization to consider when training hitters. And I think in the off season, especially for younger guys, the focus is on movement quality and increasing bat speed mm-hmm. and simply just kind of like taking the chains off and letting guys just move really fast. And, and frankly, uncoaching a lot of the stuff that they've been taught, which if I had to summarize my coaching strategy in one sentence, I would say it's uncoaching hitters. And I think that you can really focus on, you know, making mechanical changes, making adaptations that you want in the off season, but as you blend and start to progress towards in season, it becomes more about becoming the best hitter you can be with the swing you have right now and helping your team win. And I think that most athletes are in that situation where they simply need to, to find a way to get in the lineup and produce runs right now. And I think that the training should reflect that. So as we get guys ready for a competition, whether it be winter break or towards the end of the summer, or the end of the pro off season as they're getting ready for spring training, we'll start to really shift away from flips and, and from game bat stuff and really start mixing it up and making the focus on quickness, adjustability, approach, swinging at the right pitches, you know, having a good mindset, stuff like that, that, that really is, um, you know, the, the, the kind of thought that a hitter should have in season. Now, do you guys still use the overload and underload training bats during the season? Absolutely. And that's a good question. I get that question often. And we still use them just as much. And I think the focus shifts away from mechanical changes that they can, that they can, um, that they can create. And it shifts more towards proprioception and understanding how you move things through space. And I think that that's something that's really beneficial to, to differential training. And when hitters are going through the season, they're going to, they're going to have slumps and they're going to lose feel of the barrel. And I think the worst thing you can do is swing the same bat all the time. Mm-hmm. That sounds crazy, but as you progress through an end-loaded bat, an underload bat, a handle-loaded bat, and, and long bats, whatever it may be, what you're actually doing is you're forcing the hitter to solve a movement problem with a slightly different implement. And it essentially keeps their motor system fresh, keeps them solving problems, and it, it gets them away from an internal focus, and it gets them away from you know, getting yipped up. And it really makes them focus on just putting the barrel on the ball. And at the end of the day, that's what the best hitters do. And the best guys that come through our gym, 
I mean, it doesn't matter what you give them. You give them a uh, 40-40 bat, you give them the underload, you give them a freaking branch off a tree, they're going to rake, and they're going to find the barrel. And that's not so much the case with a lot of the guys that are novice or guys that need work. You know, you give them the underload, they snap hook everything. You give them the end-loaded bat, they're late. The long bat, they're jammed. So they don't really have that ability to recalibrate and, and to solve a problem, a movement problem on the fly, which in many ways, that's, that's the key to the hit tool. And that's the key to um, becoming a successful hitter over a large sample size is putting the bat on the ball. Oh, for sure. And a, a mutual friend of ours, and actually a former coach of yours, uh, Eugene Bleeker, I had him on the podcast. And, you know, we talked about so, uh, just a lot of self-organization stuff. But one thing sure. that, he's, that he said that really stuck out to me and why we should be doing this stuff is he said, you, do you think you've ever taken the exact same swing twice? And it, you know, it really hit me because I was like, well, you know, I think we talk about repeating all the time, but, you know, have we ever been in the exact same situation where we've seen the exact same pitch, spin rate, all this different stuff and taking the exact same swing twice? And I was like, ah, that's that's a great question. And I don't I don't really know. And so that's why and, and, and what I gather from from hearing you talk about this stuff is that's why we need to be able to change the implements is to be able to help them figure it out in a sense. Absolutely, man. And just be athletic up there. And that's really what it comes down to. And, and, you know, I'll tell you a story uh, of the best hitter I ever coached. He, um, he's one of the guys that just kind of just hits all the time and, and doesn't really know what he's doing. And one day I finally asked him, I said, Luke, what do you, what do you got for me, dude? Like, what's your secret? And he told me something that I thought was stupid, but later on I realized was genius. Mm-hmm. He says, Oach, I don't know, man. I just know that the bat's going to go where my eyes go. And he walked away. And I was like, ah, that's, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. And then I was thinking about it later. I'm like, oh, my God, it's brilliant. And I think that's the, uh, the mindset and that's the athletic freedom that a lot of the best hitters have. They just understand that they got to see the ball and say yes, and the bat's going to go there. And I think that varying the implement and, and forcing the body to, to do that often is a good way to develop that skill. And so that's a, that's a great statement, simple yet profound. And again, yeah. I mentioned very early on in the process that you started off in the team setting, now you're in the private side. So sure. hypothetical situation, and if you could go back and you went back into the team setting knowing what you know now, what would you do different? If I could go on a time machine and go back, I would definitely adjust some of my language. I think that I had some success with hitters early on by doing a lot of mechanical cueing and a lot of video analysis and it really helped some guys but at the same time you know I also really hurt some hitters to be totally honest I mean I had guys that we were looking at video every day every time they swung and miss we were sitting down after and breaking it down and eventually they just got so concerned with their body that they forgot to swing where the ball is and I think that um that was my fault to be honest and I as a young coach you know I, I said a lot I always was there to chime in, give my advice, and I felt like I knew everything, and you know, I had all these big words, and I was eager to use them, and I realized I did a lot more harm than good, especially with um, a handful of players, and I think if I could go back, I would coach the environment more and maybe say less, actually, because I think what a coach says is important, but what he doesn't say is equally as important, and I think sometimes I, uh, I erred on that front. Oh, for sure. Now... Meaning you change the environment, would you, are you talking about constraint training or just the culture? Yeah, constraint training and, and staying away from, um, from just breaking down mishits all the time because 
you know, if a guy got out, he'd come back to me on deck. I would sit by the on deck circle and he'd say, Hey, you know, what do you got? What'd you see? And I'd be like, Oh, it looks like you, you know, you, you, you right. pulled off and your foot got down late or whatever. Just always giving something when now if somebody asked me that, I'd be like, hitting is really hard. You popped up, you probably just swung a half centimeter underneath where you should have. Mm-hmm. Like, you'll be fine. Don't panic. Well, that's really good. And I, I think that as coaches, we can tend to overanalyze. And I, and I don't think that we mean to do it in a bad way. I just think that we want to help, help the kids so bad. Like, we want to give them something that can help them. And sometimes we get into our own way while, while like you mentioned, just, hey, hitting's hard. It's going to be all right. Just relax. You're going to be fine. You're seeing the ball well. Okay, let's go. You're going to be you're going to be all right. Exactly. Just don't panic. <laughs> right. I, I like that. Don't I'm, panic. I have to use that. Yeah, don't I panic. Because especially, yeah. you know, people say kids nowadays, which I'm completely opposite of kids nowadays. But the thing is, is, is kids nowadays, and I'm going to use it, I guess, but uh, they're smarter now and they're more well-researched than anybody. So if, if, you, okay. if you are full of BS, then they're going to find you out pretty quickly. And so, you know, just relax, you know, don't panic. I, I, I really like that a lot. And I think that's very, very useful. It's again, another thing that's just simple and profound. But one thing that I really, I geek out a little bit about is practice organization. Kind of similar question. You know, you, you've been on both sides now and, sure. and if you could go back and just talk to us about how you would set up batting practice. If you, if you don't mind going into maybe some no, different stations and sure. Yeah. I can, I can just tell you exactly what we did. Sure. In the off season, the BP rounds were all approach based. So first round was one Oh count fastballs away. And the reason it was set up that way is because I would keep pitch tendency charts and we, we took kind of a methodical approach to how we would attack our at bats. So, I told them, you know, 60 to 70% of your at-bats, that's going to be the approach in the NAI. Guys are going to be throwing you fastballs away in neutral counts, and that was surely the case. So that was the first round, fastball away, and that doesn't mean oppo. That's something I really reiterated with our guys often. Now, if you're a pull hitter and you want to pull an outside pitch or the left field fence, that's totally fine. Or if I yip up and throw one inside and you hit it to the moon, I'm not going to get mad, right? So it's all approach-based. The second round is fastball, curveball, alternating. So we're throwing as good a breaking ball as you can from, you know, 40 feet. And depending on the hitter, if he was a guest hitter, we would go fast off speed, alternating. However, if it was a guy that um, was just a pure reaction hitter, someone I didn't like to guess pitches, and it's probably about half of our hitters, we would mix it up randomly. And we would kind of cater it to, to how they hit, right? So if a guy was, um, let's say his approach is get a pitch up, then, you know, we would judge his round quality based on how many pitches he swung over up in the zone, you know, vice versa for someone that looks for pitches in or, or whatever it may be. So the second round was fastball and off speed. And then the third round was two O counts and we're grooving fastballs, but we're also mixing pitches. I think it's really important. And something I told our hitters often is that a good take is an incredible rep. So we're in a two O count in BP. And again, we're throwing pretty firm here and I am throwing like, and I'm not the one throwing it actually. David Tufo would throw little plug there best bp i've ever seen <laughs> david tufo if he's listening but uh he would throw occasionally just spin one in there and you know the best hitters would just take it or spin on it or maybe even just launch it out of the park but it's requiring just a little bit of focus and the hitters know like they know that that might happen so it kind of gets them off of autopilot which i think is um pretty common in bp so that was our third round as we progress the season it's pretty similar but but we'll We'll mix up the variability in pitches. We might move the mound closer. 
and throw harder. And as far as practice BP in season, what we do, I mean, almost every day during season that wasn't game day is we would have coaches pitch to our hitters. And I mean, pitch, I mean, like we're trying to get you out. Mm -hmm. So we were fortunate in that we had three coaches, including myself, who could throw like, you know, 70 miles an hour. So we'd put the mound, throw down mound in front of home plate. And we had a catcher out there. He's calling pitches and we split them up in games and they're doing at bats and we are trying to get them out. And there was a lot of failure. And, you know, the, the cream always would rise and the best hitters would figure it out. And we just go through rotations. So one time it's run on second, you know, two outs, one, two count cycle through half the hitters rotate second time, two O count bases loaded, get a pitch up, whatever. I mean, we'd make it up day by day, but everything was game. Like everything was game speed. There was always something on the line. Losing team had to run or they had to do conditioning or they had to do uh, sorry, field work or something or, or some sort of uh, wager. We always tried to you know, add a little extra to keep the arousal level up because mm-hmm. you know, it can get monotonous in a season. It was just a lot of game-like reps. And it was always funny to me because come pregame BP, it's derby time. Like We would hit 60, 70 home runs a day in batting practice before the game. And that was simply... To let our guys feel good and and i knew it's fine you know we've we've been kicking your butt all week and it's time to let it eat and a lot of times you know coaches would be like man these guys have no approach they're just up there trying to hit taters and it's like you have no idea what we've been doing all week these guys all hit 190 this week but yeah that's kind of that's kind of how we structured and how we prepared our hitters you know i i love the the approach that you guys are taking with bp because again it's it's something that I'm just, I've just been completely against, you know, 40 mile an hour right down the middle every single time. Because again, besides being baseball tradition, what does that do to help us? But the other side of it is, you know, working with younger kids, yeah, how do we keep them from getting just completely frustrated every single day whenever they're not getting, they're not being as successful as they, as they were whenever they were hitting, you know, straight 40 mile an hour? Yeah. I mean, that's the million dollar question is how hard should your training be? How much failure should there be? And uh, there's definitely a fine line. You know, you don't want to kill motivation. So especially with younger guys, I mean, to be totally honest with, with young guys, like 12 and under, what I suggest is literally to just throw them BP and have them hit home runs in center field. I know it sounds counterintuitive to what I was just telling you, but I think for young guys, like that's got to be the design of practice. It's like, let them have fun. Let them swing hard. Let them fail. If a kid swings, misses, and falls over, don't tell them to you know, take it easy, give them a pat in the back and get fired up and, and let them learn how to move. And then we can clean it up later and, you know, kind of tighten it up as they get ready for high school and college baseball. Oh, for sure. And I love that answer. I love that, that you went into so much detail with your BP. I know that that's been a very popular topic on the podcast because, you know, people want to know what they can do to improve because it can either be an hour wasted or an hour invested. So I love it. I, I think you did a great job. But talk to us about, you know, your own learning and what's something that you've learned lately that you're really excited about? There are a couple of things. I mean, one, we we started integrating KVEST into our training, which is into our assessment, which to me is really exciting. And basically, it gives us kinematic data on hip rotational speed, shoulder rotational speed, lead arm and lead hand. So as of now, our assessment, we get batted ball metrics, we get bat data. We get strength data, and now we're getting kinematic data. So it really gives us another piece of the puzzle. And we're currently in the data collection phase, and I think this is something that 
like you mentioned earlier, golf is light years ahead of us. I mean, I, I actually went in and got a golf assessment at a, at a place called golf tech simply because I was interested in, in what they were doing and they got all that data and they were able to tell me exactly how I compared to pros. They said, okay, uh, your hip speed is X and needs to be this. This is the average for a PGA tour professional. Here's the average for a 10 to 24 handicap, et cetera, et cetera. And it was like literally every metric they had ideal, you know, averages for the best averages for, um, amateur and, and every, everything you can imagine. And to me, it was like mind blowing. It was like, Oh my God, we need this. We need to have it. And step one is data collection, you know, and it's not an easy process, but for them, the reason they can do that is because they have, you know, 35,000 PGA tour swings right. and, you know, hacker swings in their database. And for us, it's like, we just don't have that. So we're collecting it. And it's something that I think in the future, we're really going to be able to, um, to learn a lot about the swing and about how to help hitters. Because right now it's like, there's nothing public out there that, that I can say when a hitter says, hey, look at my KVS data, what do you think? And so I can, you know, it's like, I don't know. Like, I, I can tell you what I guess, what I, what I suspect, but there's nothing concrete and nothing objective that I can tell a hitter based on that data that, that I can make actionable right away. But it's certainly not going to be the case in the future. And I'm really excited about this year and just getting that data on as many hitters as possible at very uh, varying skill levels. And I think it's going to be really incredible stuff. So that's one thing. And then um, I really want to get into vision training. I think that's something that is lacking in baseball. And it's something that is so important and, and not talked about enough. I mean, what an important part of hitting. It's arguably the most important thing and something that separates probably the, the best from, from the not best. So I think that's an area where I'm really going to invest some time in learning and talking to experts and, and start to really um, kind of get out of the dark in that, in that area, pun intended. <laughs> I love it. Now, you're coming up on, you know, year, starting year two. And mm -hmm. so just looking back and then looking ahead a little bit, what are some things that you did in year one that you are changing from year one to year two? I would say building out the assessment is the main one. You know, when guys first came in, there was a lot of subjective stuff. We were getting video and we were just looking at their peak and average velocities and their launch angles. And that was kind of the extent of it. And there's obviously value there. Uh, I'm really confident that our coaches know what they're doing and, and they can help based on that information. But, but we're just collecting a lot more. And then another big thing is the integration of our training software that we have built and started to use in gym. And that's been just incredible. And I could talk for a long time about yeah. <laughs> just that software. But basically what we used to use is Google Sheets and we would write programs for guys and, and collect data. And it was just not really scalable and, and kind of tough to do and, and tough to manage a large group of athletes. But this training software has now made it extremely easy for me to work with large groups of athletes. I can track all their data. I can write them individual programs. And it's just made all of our lives so much easier. And it's something that as a college coach and as, as a you know, facility coach is something I just dreamed about many years ago. So I'm super happy that we have it and it keeps getting better. And it's made the athlete experience better. They always know what they're doing when they walk in the door. Before they even walk in, they know what they're doing. Um, they have a deliberate, intentional plan, which I think is incredibly important in developing any skill is like when they show up to the gym, they have an exact idea of what they're doing, why they're doing it and, and what the goal is. And I think that our training software really 
makes that possible for a large group of athletes. So I'm really pumped about that. Now, is that the stuff that you guys started uh, rolling out a little bit this week? Yeah, yeah. So we um, we have some facilities beta testing it, okay. and I think it's gonna you know it's gonna start becoming available to public, if not already, pretty soon. So it's something that I highly encourage people to look into if they uh, if they manage a lot of athletes. Like you said, sounds like a dream uh, in a team setting, especially whenever we're trying to really d- develop the individual within that team setting. And is that something that, that you've really focused on uh, from the uh, facility side as well? Yeah, no doubt about it, man. I think the biggest complaint I get from athletes, whether it be at their college, high school, or at their other facility, is that they just don't know what's going on. And they kind of just like show up and they don't really know like what to do and, and how many reps to do it. And they feel like everyone on the team is doing the same thing. And that's certainly how it was when I coached in college. It was like, you know, I'm putting the drills up on the board and everyone's going through them. And it works okay, but you're neglecting somebody, right? Somebody needs something individual. So this software allows us to give each individual custom drills exactly what they need to work on. And you can do it from your computer the day before so that when guys show up, you know, they know what they're doing. And I think that it makes the athlete experience so much better just because they know that they're, they're, you know, working on what they need to work on and they're not doing what everyone else is doing, which I think is uh, a common complaint with a lot of hitters. Oh, for sure. And, you know, coming from a, coming from a team coach and like you said, you, you were as well. It's hard. It is. It's hard to individualize training within a team setting. And I know that's, that's another popular question that I literally ask everybody is, is how can we do that better? What you're talking about with the software and, and whether or not they get the software or not, it allows the player to own what they're doing and own their own career, which I think will help tremendously with that, helping them to individualize their own stuff in the team setting. Totally agree, man. And, and something it's allowed me to do too is, is to offer online training, which is something that you know, Kyle and Mike have been on me for a while about doing like you need to uh, you need to offer online training. And to me, it was like I didn't have a method of doing that in which I felt confident to put confident enough in the product to be willing to put my name on it and the driveline name on it. And this training software is now allowed me to do that to where I can work with an athlete remotely. I can look at their video. I can talk to them. I can learn about their swing, what they need to work on, and then build them a custom program and and continually upgrade it based on what they're working on. And uh, that has been awesome because I know how it is. You know, I wasn't exactly the wealthiest kid growing up. I, I probably couldn't have afforded to come to Seattle to train mm-hmm. for you know a long period of time. But there's a lot of guys that want to do our stuff. They want to learn our program. They want to gain bat speed. They want to they want to get our advice. And now they can do it online for a, for a good price and 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 I can offer a product and a service that I think is awesome. So that's been really cool. Right, and it's it's not only a product that you're just throwing out there too. It's it's been tested and retested because that's basically the driveline name is you guys are all about data. Yeah, it's been years in the making <laughs> to be honest. So it's good to to have it out and and functioning and and still still improving, of course, but um but yeah, totally agree. Oh, no doubt. What is one thing that you guys do, or if you've got a couple that that would even be better, but what's something that you guys do that your kids just love? They get just completely excited about and they're just fired up to do this one thing. Yeah, I would say it's the competition. So every hitting group, we have groups of four and they hit for an hour. At the end of every group, 
for the last 10 minutes, we play a game or we have some sort of competition. And it changes every day. So one day it might be the don't be average game, which is basically you have to hit a ball harder than your average velocity. So let's say you are 14 and your average velocity is 75. And, you know, another guy is a pro and his average velocity is 93. The game is how many balls can you hit in a row harder than your average? And the first guy to win three rounds wins. And they love it. They just love to compete. And these guys all, I mean, they're all ball players. They love to play. You know what I mean? They love to, to see uh, if they can beat somebody. And it's a really good way to end the training. Guys get fired up and they, they you know, typically perform better. You know, they get some adrenaline. And, you know, the average velocity for the day always is higher after the game than it was before, which says something. Right. And, you know, some other games we'll do is like launch angle game. You got to hit a ball between five and 35 degrees. And however many in a row you hit, you get that many points, winner at the end. I mean, we, we literally make them up on the fly and the guys just absolutely love it. And, the, and they look forward to it every day. And when they get to the gym, first thing they do is they look at the board and see what game they're playing that day. And the guy at the end of the week who has won the most gets a free T-shirt or a free hat. And, you know, they wear them with pride. So I think it's something that is simple. It takes 10 minutes and it's a good way to cap off the training session, especially if it's been a tough one. And, you know, it's something our guys absolutely love. No, anytime you can you can add a number to anything and say, hey, we're going to compete against this, then that's a, that's, that's a telltale sign that, hey, let, let's go. And that's that's what we're trying to train hitters to do anyways. But what other competitions that you guys do? Can you think of a couple off the top of your head? Oh, yeah, certainly. I'm trying to think of my favorite ones. Uh, we have one called the gauntlet. You'll like this. And basically, you have to hit a ball over your average mm-hmm. with your game bat. And if you do that, you have to take the overload bat and do it. Then you have to take the other overload bat. Oh, and you gosh. have to go through all like eight of our bats that <laughs> <laughs> you can hit off a machine. And uh, you'd be surprised, man. We've had guys go all the way through. Oh, and, wow. And some. That's awesome. And it's, it's freaking awesome. You know, you got guys up there with a 40-40 hitting 90-mile-an-hour pitches, mm-hmm. and when they hit it over their, their average, it, it's freaking cool, man. They, they love it. We do uh, Today, we did total bases, simple game. How many bases can you get before you get out? Mm-hmm. So, you know, guy hits a double and a single and gets out. Next guy hits a home run, he wins. Uh, that's a fun one. You know, we're using the hit track, so it's super easy sure. to do it. We can even actually play a baseball game. You know, we'll have four people, say two-on-two, three-inning game. You know, I'm pitching it. I'm pitching to you. Let's go. Uh, we can do, uh, you know, oppo line drive, hit a ball over 80 miles an hour to the opposite field. We can do a um, sack fly game. You got to hit it over 269 feet. How many times in a row can you do that? And, you know, we're mixing in pitches. And, and it's one of those things where the guys are learning, you know, they have a, they have a target, they have a task that they want to accomplish. And I'm mixing in pitches. So they know it's like, they're, they're trying to just win the game. But what, but what they're actually doing is they're working on a lot of things. They're working on pitch selection. They're working on controlling their bat. They're working on, um, you know, all the stuff that good hitters think about when they're in the box. And it's that subconscious learning, which I think is the best type for, um, for developing skill. Oh, for sure. And putting emotions into it increases that myelin. And that's just going to help them remember, you know, how everything felt. You know, we all, we all ask our, our players, you know, how that feel. And that's just going to. That's going to help uh, help out, and I love those. I'm taking feverish notes as we speak, but I've got you know one more question for you, and sure. it's it's the resource question. 
you know, we all are looking to steal resources. And so what are, what are, you know, your favorite resources that you constantly go to that you've read lately or that have shaped your coaching career? Man, there's so many, but you know, I mentioned TPI or you mentioned TPI earlier. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love what they're doing. I had the luxury of being able to talk to Greg Rose, pick his brain a little bit. And he's absolutely brilliant. And what he's done to golf and, and golf research and golf training is just incredible. So I highly encourage everyone to, to learn and see what they're doing over there. And there's a lot of parallels to baseball. So TPI is one. Altis is great. P3 down in Santa Barbara is awesome. As far as books, I love Dynamics of Skill Acquisition. It's like my Bible, my coaching Bible. It's, it's by my desk at all times. And it really is one of those books that when I read it a couple years ago, it was like chapter after chapter. It just hit me across the head. It was like, oh, geez, I'm not doing that very well. Or oops, like he's calling me out. <laughs> With, with something I've done in the past. And it's just so jam-packed with, with quality information. And I've seen it on Twitter before. Uh, baseball coaches have shared it. And it's something that, it is a textbook. And it's not exactly an easy read, but it's worth it's worth the work. Rob Gray, you know, he puts out yeah, incredible points. content. I mean, he's the man. His podcast is awesome. Again, pretty dense. You need to have you know a dictionary nearby if you're not well-versed in motor learning and skill act. But, but it's definitely worth the time. And I highly encourage it to anyone that's coaching athletes. I love that. And, and Jason, again, thank you so much for, you know, coming on the show. And, and if there are any listeners who would like to get in touch with you, what would be the best way to do that? You can find me on Twitter under my full name at Jason Ochart. And uh, you can email me, Jason at drivelinebaseball.com. Or you can call in to Driveline. And, and uh, I'm not hard to find. You can definitely uh, reach out. I always love talking to people about hitting and about what I'm doing. And and um, I really appreciate you having me on, and I appreciate everyone that's listening. It's really been fun, man, and I really appreciate what you do. You, you share a lot of great information from some of the best minds around, and, and uh, you're making the game better. And you've definitely made me better, so I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. If you'd like to view the show notes or get in touch with me, you can find all of that information on our website at aotcpodcast.com or on the Texas High School Baseball Coaches Association app. Help us out by subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show. But before you go, here's a quick word from our friends at Keeper of the Game. Hi, this is Ben Hochter, Keeper of the Game's Youth Ambassador and the Student Director of Baseball Operations at Reedy High School. Keeper of the Game provides great baseball experiences for kids with special needs and disabilities, Keeper also creates service opportunities for teams like Reedy Baseball. Check us out at KeeperTheGame.org, Keeper of the Game on Facebook and Instagram. Our Twitter handle is at BaseballKeepers via Keeper of the Game.